Welcome to the Thundercast, your martial athletics podcast produced by the fans, for the fans, with your hosts, Russ Livingood and KD Hudnall. We're bringing you the thundering word on the thundering herd each and every week. So keep it right here. The Thundercast is on the loose. Thanks for downloading another episode of the Thundercast. It is the final episode of season two of the Thundercast, which means next week will be the first episode of season three of the Thundercast. First, let's not move along any farther without talking about that. Just real quick, Russ. Sure. Three seasons, about to be three seasons. You know, the first one was kind of shortened, but damn, I still think we put out like 35 or 40 episodes in the first one. A little uh, low. It was 15. Okay. Oh, well, 15? Pretty sure. Oh, that's right, because it was from April to April 1st to to the July 1st was when we started season two. Yeah. Um, But 58. This will be 58 episodes in season two. So the numbers tell me that's a little bit better than one per week, which is pretty awesome. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think – I can't be more appreciative to everybody that downloads every week and watches on YouTube to really sit back and, and think about this from March of or April of when we started this in 2021. Are my number's wrong. Your number's wrong. It was 2022. 2022. Yeah. I'm struggling in case you haven't realized. I sound like crap. My head is not working 100%, which is a, which is a great reason why I make notes. <laughs> because I'm str- I'm struggling big time right now. I'm trying to fight off some kind of whatever the hell I have going on. But anyway, to sit back and look at the growth and how we've been received by herd fans and players and coaches and the administration, it's really humbling, right? Because yeah. at the end of the day, we're just two fans that like talking about the herd. Yeah. So I can't be more appreciative of of, of everybody to take the time and listen to us every week and you know, interact with us on our show, social media accounts. It's we're having a hell of a lot of fun. And we say that a lot because it's true. Mm-hmm. So how can you find us? Well, find us on Twitter at Thundercast underscore pod. And all the links to our social media are in the descriptions to every episode. Um, I don't know, man, this is just really cool to think we're about to start season three. A big, huge thank you also to our sponsors that mm-hmm. stick with us every, every year, every um quarter even i don't know what they they just some of them have been with us from the very very beginning and Mm -hmm. even even those that joined a little bit later are still from the very very beginning essentially yeah yeah we're Uh, we're 15 months into this now and finishing up our second season and since then we've had the spinoff show which is inside the thunder that that you do the one-on-one interview show great content uh we started a web page getting ready to go into a more hard launch of that uh, in season three, uh, we've had countless specials and uh, special events. We, you know, started uh, hosting uh, post game uh, recap show, call in show, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we've had uh, tailgate shows. We've had uh, the green and white game show. We had the cornhole classic. We got to interview a bunch of people uh, for various different you know, things. We got invited to a few press conferences. It's Mm -hmm. been a lot in 15 months. It certainly has. And when you start ripping things off like that, you know, it's like, dang, how 
I forgot about that. Dang, that too. Dang, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, for for like I said, just a couple of fans who kind of conjured up this idea and thought it could be something kind of special to see that it has turned into something special and and people really rally around it. I think it's awesome, man. And and um, I couldn't be more happy to be the guy, one of the guys, two, one of two guys that is at the forefront of of doing this and bringing this to herd fans, man. It's it's freaking cool. Yeah. But but look, we had a, a a notable, let's call it a notable week, right? There's some big news. Some broke just yesterday as we record today. It's Tuesday, uh, the 27th. So um, we're going to cover all of that. But first, we've got to get a word from our sponsors at 304carwreck.com. If you've been injured in a car wreck, visit 304carwreck.com on the web or on Facebook. What happens when an Ohio driver crashes into a West Virginia driver in Kentucky? That can be a mess. But if you can dream it up, Jason and Matt have probably been there, done that, and gotten their clients paid. Don't fight the insurance companies alone. Contact Jason and Matt at 304carwreck.com. Okay, Russ, where... Well, you told me last week you like to begin at number one, so I'm not going to fall for that one again. But how many things do we have this week? <laughs> but I guess give me at least five things least that every five. herd needs to know this week. Every week we're going to have at least five, but uh, this <laughs> this week we're going to have six things that every herd fan needs to know this week. As always, brought to you by IgniteLink, the Tri-State's premier IT management team. Number one, Phil Steele preseason All-SBC and All-America selections. Let's start with Micah Abraham getting an All-America preseason nod from Phil Steele. Yep, and you know how I respect Phil Steele. I don't think anybody in the country works harder at uh, putting together his preview magazine than Phil Steele does, you know, Mm -hmm. their respective magazines, I guess. Um I hold him in high regard because he truly does his homework and it mm-hmm. takes a year, you know, for him to really get back and, and, and cover everyone equally. That's what I like about him most. It's not just the sec, the Ohio state Notre Dame. And then, you know, we'll write a paragraph about everybody else. He calls and talks to every coach, uh, every head coach about their program. And mm-hmm. I really appreciate what he does and to see that Mike Abraham is getting some national uh, all American pub from Phil Steele. It means something, man, because Phil knows his stuff. He 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 knows uh talent. He he knows what he's talking about. And you know, we can talk about it all we want and talk about how good Mike Abraham is and blah 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 blah. And everybody's just gonna say, well you guys are Marshall fans, you're supposed to say that. But when you see somebody with the cal at the caliber of respect that uh Phil Steele garners it means a little bit something extra. It means that we're just not fans kind of bolstering up our own guys. Um, it means that others are taking notice too. And boy, he yeah. does deserve it. Yeah. Well, he's got the pedigree. He's got the, uh, the results on the field. It's not yep. just the name. I think a, a lot of it is the respect that he garners that he doesn't get thrown at as much. Uh, one is physically he's got his guy on lockdown. So people don't want to throw over there. But it's almost like the coaches are game planning. Like, let's not throw to that side of the field. You know, that's where Mike is at. Let's call this play, that sort of thing. So, yeah. uh, very well deserved. Yeah, and we know that he's going to – it's it's really going to uh, – what he does this year is really going to get magnified because last year he had 
Stephen Gilmore on the other side and that tandem of corners really complemented one another. You know, they opposing offenses really had to kind of pick and choose who they wanted to go after. And, um, you know, Micah is, is not going to have Steven there. There's going to be someone else on the other side at the, at the neck, at the, I would assume to be the number two corner spot. I would expect Mike Abraham to be our number one corner this year. And whoever those guys are, are going to have to, um, feel some big shoes, right. Mm -hmm. From Steven Gilmore. He was an excellent corner. So, you're right. You you may even have less opportunity this year, which makes what he is able to do magnified more. But nonetheless, anytime you can get an All-American honor, that's a big deal. And being a G5 guy, a mid-major guy, uh, landing on, what was he, third team or fourth team All-American, honestly, in this day and age, that's about as good as you can hope to get because there's still a bias no matter how fair you try to be there's still going to be a bias amongst the power five teams. Uh, so this is, this is a big deal. It's a big deal. They had him as fourth team, uh, all American, still huge. Uh, you're talking top eight in the country at that yeah. point, seven or eight, either way you look at it. Um, we've got, uh, 36 tackles, 10 pass breakups and six interceptions last year when they are not throwing at him as much. Right. So, Results, I think, speak for themselves. You're averaging close to one pass breakup a game. You're averaging an interception roughly every, other game. every two games. We yeah. know it's a little bit more than that. But he just had a great year last year, and he really got a knack for, for finding the football last year. And if we can see uh, any semblance of a repeat performance this year, we're going to see – or I think we're going to hear uh, Micah Abraham get his name called on draft day um, – in the spring, the following spring. All right, let's talk about the rest of what Phil Steele did, and this is all SBC preseason. On the first team, we got Rasheen Ali and Owen Porter. I think both of those are no-brainers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you want to talk about those before we move on to the second and third? I mean, to think the only thing I've got to say is if those two guys aren't on your short list for preseason offensive player of the year and defensive player of the year, then I'm not sure what list you're creating. Yeah. You know, I, I'm I'm fair enough to say, no, they're not the only guys. Obviously, right. there's great players on both sides yeah. of the ball in this conference. But if both of those guys don't land on your short list for potential uh, player of the year on their side of the football, then you're just truly not being honest with yourself. I couldn't agree more with that. And, I mean, this is a deep running back league. This is a deep defensive player league. I mean, you know, you could name a top ten and people are going to be PO'd that somebody's not on that top ten. That's how, you know, just on running back, just on, uh, you know, if you want to pick defensive line and linebackers, whatever you want to pick to, to group them together. I mean, these two stand out amongst all that crowd of elite players. Mm -hmm. So second team, uh, we've got uh, Ethan Driscoll at tackle and linebacker Eli Neal. Yeah. Also two guys that are going to be integral in what Marshall does this year. Uh, we're going to talk about the offensive line and give a little breakdown later on in this episode as the breakdown series continues. And of course, Eli Neal is just a motor guy. I mean, he's a football guy, very much like, Owen Porter is a football guy uh, at the second at the second level in the linebacking core. Eli Neal's that guy. 
We didn't talk about stats for the first team, but I just wanted to throw this out here for Eli Neal. 98 tackles, nine and a half for loss, three sacks, and nine QB hurries. Yeah. So that's what he's bringing to the table. And uh, in this, we also had uh, two names for the third team, uh, all SBC preseason. That's uh, center Logan Osborne and punt returner Talik Keaton is how they have him listed. I know, see? I know, and I I know that there you really can't lend a ton of credence to that. I think um, probably some of that leans heavily on the fact that uh, Talik has been an all-conference um, punt returner before in Phil Steele's magazines, just, of course, in the Conference USA era. Because we talked about this last week, we have no idea really who's going to be the punt returner. He very well may be the first choice at punt returner, but we don't know that. And, of course, to find Logan Osborne there, what a great story that is, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's just continued to get better and better and better every single year, man. And uh, he's quickly turning into more and more of a fan favorite because he's in his local kid, Cabell Midland kid. And comes in and is playing center at a very high level. He took over for, um, you know, Alex Seguero, Alex Millette were splitting duty a little bit there at center, and both of those guys were really high performers. And yeah, so and Logan is coming. We just have not seen any drop off in production. I'm really happy for him too. This is great to be represented like this. Of course, if once we do this at the end of the season, um, if Phil still puts out a you know post season. Uh, all conference, all Sun Belt Conference team. It might look vastly different, you know, because we're expecting some big things from guys that are new to the team this year, mm-hmm. or guys that are, uh, you know, uh, have been on the team but just haven't had their opportunities to shine yet. So we could uh, end up with even more at the uh, end of the year. Crazy good accolades across the board for. Uh the recognition coming, like you said, from a national person as esteemed as Phil Steele. So our congratulations to all those guys. And I fully expect that we're going to have more on that postseason than, mm-hmm. than what that is. Uh, number two this week, Tavion Kinsey signs a contract with the Utah Jazz. Did not get drafted, signed an Exhibition 10 contract. Yeah, and uh, I'm sure some folks saw – kind of a breakdown on what an exhibition 10 is. It's a one-year guaranteed contract. And you mentioned before we hit the record button that it allows you to kind of go back and forth between the G league and, and the active roster on the, uh, the Utah jazz roster. So this is a good opportunity. A it's a guaranteed one year professional contract in the NBA slash G league, but the G league for, you know, what it is, is a very good league. You know, these guys that are bubble guys, that uh, you know can get called up, and I think it's a, that's a good thing, man, to have that there. You think of it, you think mostly of this stuff in terms of baseball, where you get sent down to the minors, and you might have a you get hurt, and you get a rehab start or a couple rehabs uh, rehab stint with your AAA team or whatever, and then you get called back up. But being able to flow back and forth like that, I think, uh, can really can really help you develop mentally. Um, but I'm thrilled for him to uh, have get have gotten an opportunity to play in the NBA. I think he really, really deserved a shot to show what he can do. And quite honestly, I think Utah just kind of hit the lotto a little bit because he's uh, he's a worker and he's a good person. You know, he's not somebody you really have to worry about. 
uh, he's just going to show up and do what he's supposed to do and 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 work hard and try to get better, man. I think herd fans everywhere are really happy that uh, he's getting this opportunity. That contract, just to clarify, the uh, conversion to the two way contract has to be uh, has to take place before the start of the season. Mm-hmm. So as long as before the start of the season he impresses enough that they say, okay, let's do that, he'll be in the G League, and then he can go back and forth like we were talking. But if we're talking about um, people that did not get drafted, there were some national names mm-hmm. of people that didn't get drafted that you would think uh, 10, 15 years ago that would have been a no-brainer. You know, if you get this accolade, you play for this team at a high level, you're going to get drafted. And that's just not how the NBA is now. You know, there's a, a lot more uh, in development now that they've got that G League that they say, well, why draft this and this when we can do this and this, develop these players in the G League, call them up. So I'm happy for Tavion. Uh, I would have liked to have seen him get drafted, but I think this is uh, as good a route to the NBA as, as you're going to find right now. Yeah. I would agree. Outside of getting drafted, this is probably the best case scenario. Because what's what's if it's not this, then what is it? You go to Europe and hone your right. skills for a little bit, and and, and, hope and just that you hope, get hope that somebody gets yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, number three, the first Big Green Happy Hour is going to be Thursday uh, at Taps at Heritage Station, uh, five to seven p.m. If you are not a Big Green member, you can go there and sign up. You can go there and renew. And if you do that there, the first round is going to be on the big green. They'll get your first round for you. So if you are or are not a big green member but want to become one, sounds like uh, your Thursday evening just got a little more packed. Yeah, and I think it's time, right? If you're still on the fence, it's time to get off the fence. Uh, I don't know how many times we can talk about this and how affordable it is and can be and the doors that it opens up for you for opportunities with martial athletics as far as tickets and perks mm-hmm. and things like that. It's just time to do it. I mean, really, honestly, yep. it, they make it so easy, and I still it boggles my mind how people are, A, under the perception that you have to have a bajillion dollars to do it, mm-hmm. and B, uh, people still act like it's incredibly hard to get signed up or, or to join takes 30 seconds yeah if that right and and it's so affordable and if you do it on the website you again you check the box for the herd forever pledge and you're never going to get expired it just keeps on you making your deduction in perpetuity unless you want to change something maybe you want to kick your donation level up a little bit or the only other time you might have to log back in and take care of something is like if your card expires yeah. and you get a new card and you've got to right. enter new payment info. That's really it. So, dang, man, if you got a card that's good to go for three or four years, you're not going to have to worry about renewing. It's yeah. just going to continually, you know, perpetually pay every month. And that's and what I do, and it's so easy. As cheap as $5 a month, yep. you, you can sign up for different plans, but the cheapest one is 5 bucks a month, and even on that cheapest plan, you get the herd discount perks that we talk about all the time that makes it such a value. You go into Glenn's to get some uh, herd gear, probably already go there anyway. They have a discount. It's 10%, 15%. I can't remember what it is. Mm-hmm. It's pretty easy if you buy a shirt or two to get 5 bucks back. You know, Yeah, so, no doubt. Um, just sign up, uh, go to the website, 
hit us up, whatever you want to do, download the herd zone app, as we keep telling you to do, find a way to get on there, look at the perks. Those are being overhauled as well. Uh, there's going to be a big push to include a lot more vendors and local uh, businesses on there uh, just to make it even more valuable for people to sign up. But yeah. Think about this, man. If it's a game day weekend and you're making a weekend out, let's say you got some people coming in and this is the game that they're going to and you guys are having a big to-do about it, right? You go to you go and get some fresh gear and you use your big green discount and then you go have dinner or two mm-hmm. while you're out and you use your big green discount. And you're like, ah, man, we might do some extra running. Maybe I better go. It's about time for me to get an oil change. Let me go do that before everybody gets in town. By the time it's all said and done, you may have easily – made back 15, 20, 25 bucks worth of your $60 donation yes. on the year, just in that one weekend, right? It's that easy. On, on average, most of the businesses are 10%. So you have to spend $600 a year to get your $60 back just to be a wash. And yeah. even if you don't do that and you do 40, you know, you get 40 of your 60 back. How valuable is that? You're helping student athletes, you're able, eligible for uh, different perks, you know, free tailgate, all the different things that the Big Green does, and you're going to get money back on your $60 investment. Yeah. Plus, you get the perks outside the herd perks. You get the opportunity to buy tickets to other games. Yeah, and that's right. You know, it's just, it's just worth it. We just do it. Just do it. All right. Number four, Tim Donnelly is back as associate head coach for baseball. Man, that made me feel good. I don't, I don't know about you, but that made me feel good. I yeah. like seeing I like seeing that. I like having uh, Tim Donnelly back on staff. Um, you know, he was, I think, last with the herd in 2016 or something like that. And he was like Conference USA Assistant Coach of the Year that year. And then we made the change. And if I'm not mistaken, now look, I didn't go back and look at this, but this seems to be popping in my head. Tell me if I'm wrong. When we hired Coach Beals from his short stint at Akron, was it not Tim Donnelly that stepped into that head coaching role? Yeah, that's what I was getting ready to say. They they uh, put Donnelly up there, and they had him listed as interim uh, head coach. And then someone said, I, I haven't been on the Akron website every day refreshing just to see what it would say, but someone said that they had removed the interim title and announced him as head coach. So – Either way you look at it, we took the last two head coaches from Akron <laughs> baseball, and they cannot be too happy. We talked about their program before about how you know it's uh, scholarships are funded kind of privately and fundraising and things like that. So big blow to them. I hate it, but I am way happier to have Tim Donnelly back here uh, than I am sad for a program that I don't follow, don't even know anything about. <laughs> Well, let's be honest. He just belongs here. Right? He does. He, he belongs does. in Huntington. He belongs with herd baseball. He belongs on the coaching staff when the stadium opens up with all the years that he spent here, the history that that, that entire family has in Huntington. He belongs on that staff. Yeah. When they open the doors for the very first time, it, it's just one of those things that makes it right in the world. You know, we, we got that one right. And um, – even if he did, even if he was the interim coach and he played out the whole season, right? So it's not like we That's just, right. it's, not, it's not like we just snatched him away like mid season or anything like that. So we did about as good, we did about as good by them as we could, right? Sure. The, the whole Bills transaction wasn't ideal for them. We get that. But 
if we'd have also taken Donnelly mid season, that would have been pretty dirty, but we didn't do that. <laughs> right. But uh, like, I'm like you, I don't really care. Cause you know, no offense to Akron, but I'm not an Akron fan. You know, yeah. I didn't know they had, I didn't know they had a team till we took their coach. So, <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, I expected them to have a team, but I didn't know, you know, yeah. uh, he had 10 years here. Uh, it was, uh, 2007 to 2016. Yeah. So I guess before you, what's the, before you move on to the last one, you got anything to say about him? Anything else? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, then the last thing you've got to say is, uh, for those of you that know, um, the chicken runs at midnight. If you don't know, you need to, you need to educate yourself on that story because it's a great story. It is a great story. So welcome home, Tim Donnelly. Number five, speaking of baseball, officially now we have confirmation that it will be Jack Cook Field when the stadium opens. Um, I'm glad they did that because I don't think it mattered. I think people were going to call it that regardless. Yeah. You know, it was just the right thing to do. Fans were going to call it that. It was going to be the Jack, but officially, 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 um, yeah, it needed passed. And, you know, the, the, the T's crossed, the I's dotted, and all the approvals and all that kind of stuff. So uh, pretty cool. You know that we've got we've got naming rights, uh, or we've got a name for the field. We've got a name for the clubhouse, and then I guess there will be naming rights up for, a, for the stadium. A lot of naming rights, and um, some of these have already been put in place, just not announced. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I can say that, uh, but I mean there are a lot when you start thinking about you know like. Uh, let's just use an example over at the dot. You've got Elsie uh, Pruitt dugout. Uh, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So there's dugouts, there's locker rooms, there's all these different things that can have naming rights. And uh, it will help quite a bit with the money needed to get all of this stuff, you know, the clubhouse the way it needs to be and, and everything to where we're not looking at, well, let's get the stadium and hope that we get the, the, video room and batting practice stuff, you know, a few years down the line. No, it's going to happen now when everything is happening. And that's because of the naming rights. There will be a different name for the stadium. This is just the field. It is very reminiscent of Joan C. Edwards stadium. It's James F. Edwards field. And it has been that way for a long time. 2004, I mean, it, when when it was Marshall Stadium, yeah, it was still, it was still James still F. Edwards Field. James F. Edwards Field at Marshall Stadium. Yeah, um, but when the Joan, I think that was 2003 or 2004. I can't remember, but uh, it's James F. Edwards uh, Field at Joan C. Edwards Stadium. People are going to call this the Jack. You know, right. it's it's going to be it's going to be the Jack. And it's going to be Jack Cookfield. Uh, I think the stadium name, I'm not trying to downplay people that might be, you know, wanting to have their business entity on the stadium, but local fans are going to refer to it as the Jack just because of the history. Of course. There's nothing wrong with that. You still get to have your logo or business or whatever it is all over it. You're going to be plastered all over the place. It's going to be officially uh name that you know it's it's just local fans are going to call it the jack there's just no no way about it yeah there's no two ways around it that's what it's going to be and we've we've talked about that right that's what everybody was the place isn't even built yet and that's what people were calling it you know like before it 
was just like when it was still just a dream ish, you know, when it looked like it was going to be a reality. And then you seen dirt moving and then in casual conversations, people were just like, can't wait to go to the game at the Jack next year. You know? Yeah. So it's nice. It's official now. And I don't know if you've looked at the progress lately, but man, it's coming along. Yeah. I've seen bits and pieces here and there. It does look pretty cool. I watched the press conference the other day from the site mm-hmm. after they did the, you know, this, the, that announcement. So mm-hmm. It looks like it's coming along really well. I bet it's going to be pretty awesome. And for other things that came about with this, I, I don't want to list them all as things, but if uh, if anyone that's listening or watching is interested, you can find this uh, stuff, the athletic department uh, segment from the Board of Governors meeting where they did this. They have updated renderings of the scoreboard at football. They talked about the video boards at the other places and, different facilities news and stuff like that. Seek it out, check it out. Uh, lots of cool visuals and, and stuff there. All right. So now we go to our bonus thing, our sixth thing. And Morgan Zirkle is coming home. Yeah. Fifth, fifth head coach in softball history here at Marshall, all time performer, local person, uh, a lot of people were clamoring for her uh, to be the coach when it became apparent that Megan Smith Lyon was moving on to her alma mater. And I think just about everybody thinks this is a home run hire uh, right out of the gate. Yep. This is the, the name that immediately started circling around uh, when the announcement that Megan was moving on um, happened. I mean, it was like, your first call should be to Morgan Circle. Blah 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 mm-hmm. blah blah. I get it, right? And and to say, you know, local person, all time performer, that's even a short sell. Because I tweeted this the other day when, or yesterday, I guess, when she was announced as a coach, I linked her bio, her herd zone bio, in the tweet, and it was massive. I mean, it's like the acc- the accolades just the accolades in bold alone will yeah. make will make you go dang man how does one player do all this because it wasn't like a build up to a one final great year it was like she was great from the get go you know um another Cabell Midland grad so you, keeping it local is just you know um like I said an understatement but she was an All-American. She played on the Team USA. She's playing professionally up until maybe, I don't know, a few weeks ago, maybe. I don't know. You know, she's been an assistant coach at uh, Little Miami for the last couple of years. Uh, I guess if you have to have one concern, it would be that this she's a first-time head coach, you know, and that that always has challenges that go with it. But yeah. um, the things that you have to like about it is, A, she gets it here. Mm-hmm. You know, she gets it at Marshall and she wants to be at Marshall and um, with her career going as it has gone. I cannot imagine there is a corner of the softball world that she doesn't have a contact in. Mm-hmm. So you would like to think that the recruiting game just opens up massively to someone like Morgan Zirkle. Um, so she's, she's fairly young, just five, six years ago, 2017. What is that? Six years ago, she was wrapping up her career and now she's leading the program. So it was Morgan graduates. They have a one year 
coach and then we hire Megan. And now it's full circle back to Morgan Zirkle being here again. I'm really happy. I'm really excited, you know, uh, to, to, to take over a team that finished second in the Sun Belt, right? Mm-hmm. Um, with all the momentum that's behind this program. This is a good spot to be in. And we've talked about uh, some of the amenities that are going to come along with this baseball program mm-hmm. and the stadium being built, some things that are going to be uh, added to the softball program that are going to allow Morgan to do things that Megan and Corey and Maddie weren't able to do, you know, mm-hmm. because the facilities just didn't exist. I, I think this is a good move. You know, I, I'm still cautiously optimistic because being a first-year head coach has has challenges. You may have a great system, and it may work right out of the gate. And um, it may be exactly what we need here. But until the rubber meets the road a little bit and there's going to be a learning curve for her too, you know, then um, we, we'll just have to kind of see how it goes, right? But – I think every Herd fan, uh, Herd softball fan is, I think ecstatic is a fair word to use. I don't think anybody's like, oh man, this is the wrong move. Nobody is saying that. Nobody is feeling that way. Um, I'm super excited. I think a lot of our players are probably super excited. As a matter of fact, yesterday (laughs) I had to retweet this because I thought it was so funny you know, and so wholesome. I don't want to say funny. It was just wholesome, right? And it was from our second baseman, Brooklyn Ulrich. She tweeted out that two years ago, she was fangirling out over yeah. meeting Morgan Zirkle, right? And she had pictures from a couple of years ago where she was, you know, there at the dot and they were doing, she was like totally fangirling out. That's her words, mm-hmm. not mine. And she said, now she's my coach at Marshall University. I imagine that's, that's not just, uh, limited to Brooklyn, right? There's Mm -hmm. probably a lot of girls on that roster that are feeling the same way, especially the local girls. You know, think about Cam Mahalis from Huntington here. Riley Lucas was at Cabell Midland. Riley Lucas is at Cabell Midland, was at Cabell Midland. So this is a local legendary softball player now, right? So these are, these are, this is a girl, this is a gal, Morgan Circle is a gal that all these current players looked up to five, six years ago when they were, you know, in, in, middle school uh, and beginning high school or whatever grade they fell in when she was about to culminate her career at Marshall. So this is a be, this will be a, a huge weapon in retaining um, a, a big number of players, if not all of them. I mean, if not all of them. So we haven't seen any more players enter the portal. I really didn't think we were going to. Um, and, I got to mention this. We did see Autumn Owen commit to UNC. So we know that now she is officially off the board. We wish her all the luck in the world. She's a great person. I hope she goes and tears it up for her home state as well. Um, And I'm not trying to stir the pot here at all, but we haven't seen either of the other two that entered the the portal make an announcement. At least I haven't seen it. So we don't know what's going on there. But, you know, last week we talked about – would Marshall move quickly and, and would the timing work out? And, you know, they did move quickly. So that's just more time on the clock that we have to re-recruit our players and um, work the portal if we need to and, you know, uh, put a really strong team back on the field. I am ecstatic to have Morgan Zirkle leading the program. Thinks this is a great move. 
Um, I have some breaking news for you. Okay. 15 minutes ago, Carolina softball, another North Carolina girl coming home. Help us in welcoming <laughs> the newest member of Carolina softball, Alex Coleman. Well, okay. I guess that's that. I can't say that I'm surprised, right? Uh, but same, same. I, we I predicted that. I, yeah, I did, but I, I am a little, I am a little, um, a little disappointed. I was hoping that maybe they would be able to lure her back in because, man, what a huge weapon Alex was for us. Yeah, would have been a multi-year starter for the herd. Still had tons of eligibility left, and, um, but hey, just like Autumn, we wish her the best, man, because she was sure. a lot of fun to watch. Great, great kid cool family um and they get to do it back in carolina you know and this time suiting up in the carolina blue so now we know we have at least two open scholarships um and we'll have to see what morgan does to fulfill uh, fill out the roster we we know we're going to need a a solid um close i don't want to we call it um friday starter you know, a Friday, Sunday pitcher because Sid Nestor's not here anymore and we need another dominating pitcher in the circle. Savannah Rice does a great job, uh, oftentimes in midweeks and on your Saturday games. And if she turns into being the Friday, Sunday pitcher, then that's great too, but we can't get by on one. Uh, Bub pitched sparingly last year. So we know we're going to need another power pitcher another dominating pitcher in the circle so now we have two scholarships to play with uh we'll see at least two you know maybe three if uh if uh Bree godfrey indeed stays in the portal so there's some movement or there's some um room for flexibility here for for morgan circle well that wraps up our six things this week of everything or six things every herd fan needs to know this week as always, brought to you by Ignite Link. Up and down six things, man. Mostly positive. Um, kind of overwhelmingly positive. I don't even know why I said up and down. I think it's uh I think it's overwhelmingly positive. A lot of momentum here to close out the five things segment for season two. Uh, I tell you what, let's continue doing what we did since the breakdown series to start. Let's go ahead and move right into around the herd. Yeah, around the herd, we're going to start with track. And Isaiah Harper from Pickerington, Ohio, has committed. Yeah, uh, I saw some people were excited about that uh, in the fact that he also plays football. I don't think I'd put too much stock into that as far as the herd football team goes. But uh, I love that we are seeing the track and field team um, kind of spreading its wings a little bit. and. Mm -hmm. um, getting its name out there, right? I like that, man. And, and um, heading into going into the Buckeye State and pulling some talent to run for the herd, I'm digging it. Also, uh, with uh, commits, we have football. We picked up uh, six in one day, as uh, Coach Huff put out. And then he said, and the herd got another one. So I'm going to say that that's seven. I don't, I don't think that uh, he was – using that the herd got another one that that was uh one of the ones of the six that he was saying so we picked up some commits there at camp here uh they i think i saw logan put out over 350 plus commits yeah. were on campus uh for their final camp uh picking up seven three of those have been named officially uh on twitter at least 
and uh, that was linebacker Chasen Clark and um, Gray Jr. What was it? Nelson Gray Mo- Jr. Moses Moses Gray Jr. Uh, running back, and you'll have to help me with the third guy, Chamura. Chamura, yeah, yeah. What was his first name? Don't have it. I'll look it up. Uh, I thought you had that. I'm sorry, Cameron. I thought it was Cameron. It's Cameron, Cameron Chamura. Yeah. So those three have been named. Got four others that haven't been named. And you know, I'm fine with us playing it tight to the vest and not announcing that for a while. You know, today's uh, football world and how that goes. I'm, you know, as long as they're committed, I'm fine with it. Well, yeah, but this is the 2024 class. Right. So it's a, it's yeah, a long yeah, a road yeah. to hoe. Uh, the season haven't hasn't even started for these guys yet, so there's going to be a lot more recruiting. We sure. this is this is nothing new, really. You know, you get these guys that commit early in a in an upcoming class, and trying to hold on to them for ten months is increasingly hard, especially if they go out there and they just blow it out of the water. Everybody and their brother starts trying to recruit them, and then you start to wonder, like, hey, is that early relationship that we built is that commitment really strong? You know, because we we offered that guy when nobody else was. You know, we we noticed the talent when nobody else was willing to pull the trigger on an offer type thing. And you start to wonder, like, ooh, does the lore of a certain logo on a certain helmet start to right. pull hard? And I don't know, man. But seven in one weekend is a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> because Marshall had three guys in the 2024 class up to this point, up to up to this weekend. And um, recruiting just ticked up for a lot of teams in the conference. You know, everybody was still focusing on portal, focusing on 2023 class, round, rounding out, plugging holes and filling holes. And now we start to transition more so to 2024. I don't, I still don't think we're done for the 2023 class yet. Right. Uh, there's, there's guys, you know, if you caught that interview for the Thunder Trust that had, uh, was with Coach Huff a while back. He said that, you know, some guys don't even graduate until June or July, you know, so you can't really go after them. You have to look at the graduate market in July right. to see if there's guys available that can help you. So I still don't think we're fully done in 2023, but uh, coming out of the gate with seven now in, in 2024, which would bring the class to total to 10, Puts Marshall right back up there. Some of those guys were bo- boasting their classes in 24, like, man, look at us. We're we're flexing our muscles a little bit, and they had like five, six guys, you know, and I'm like, man, we were just plotting here. You know, I, I trust Huff and his staff immensely when it comes to recruiting, so Marshall just shot right up those SBC rankings, I'm sure of it, in uh, for 24. Yeah, and I don't think it's any coincidence that you get to see these players in person at a camp yeah. and get to see some of the stuff uh, live with your own eyes uh, for the drills that you want them to be in or the situations you want them to be in. And then you say, okay, I want to 100% get this person committed here. Yeah. One of those guys that uh, we were able to pull in was from the state of Louisiana which is not uh, usually a recruiting hotbed for us, mm-hmm. but because of uh, Chevis Jackson's ties to Louisiana and, and the name that he has down in that area, being a big star from, for LSU and a pro guy, um, 
get some clout in a state like Louisiana now. So a little nod, little tip of the cap to our, our conference mates in Louisiana that we are now going into the boot and bringing your talent to Huntington. So how you like me now, right? There's we're, we're a, we're a full, <laughs> we're, I'm not going to say we're nationally recruiting, but I'm also not going to say that because we're bringing guys in from California and Texas and all over the place, you know? So uh, even some guys in years past from Arizona. I mean, I couldn't tell you the last time we brought guys in from Arizona, you know. So I I, I love what we're doing, and I'm loving the type of uh, players that we're going that we're bringing to Huntington and and the areas we're going into to get these guys. Man, it's it's not just we're going to recruit West Virginia, Virginia, Ohio, Kentucky, and Florida, you know, and and Georgia and a little bit of the Carolinas. Like if there's a guy. It doesn't really matter where he's at. If he's on the radar, they'll go to where they need to go to get him. And I love that about this staff. Switching over to soccer, uh, right as we were recording last week, the team had landed uh, down in Brazil, and they have played uh, several different games down there. We're not going to go over every result. Just know that they are playing some great international talent and not only holding their own but coming out victorious. Uh, we have seen uh, some players moved around a little bit. Matthew Bell has a new position. It seems to be a lot more aggressive for our offense. And we've talked about the recruiting class, the signing class, uh, the new commits that we have. This, this <laughs> soccer team just looks loaded. Yeah, and I've seen some of our fans that I feel like are more in tune with the game itself mm -hmm. are like, yeah, we're coming for it all this year. This, you know, the, the moves they're making, the changes they've switched up and, you know, moving Matthew Bell uh, to a different position that allows more fluidity amongst the herd offense when they're on the attack. They scored a lot last year anyway, right? Mm -hmm. And to be able to sit back and go, okay, if these guys see what I can't see mm -hmm. and, they, and they're, they're seeing the game play out like this is what we're going to be able to do, I feel good about that, right? I, I mean, of course – Chris Grassy has forgotten far more about the game of soccer than I will ever learn. Uh, and if he's gone out and recruited and signed 15, 16 guys that can instantly impact his team and, uh, and allow some flexibility and allow some fluidity that maybe we didn't fully exploit last year. And we went, we had a pretty good run last year, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, I'll take it. I'll take it, man. You know, we, we were high on Matthew Bell to begin with uh, last year, the Phenom, and we were expecting a big year this year and to see him change up roles and be cool with doing that and not just kind of be like, nope, this is not what I came here to do. I'm hitting the portal. Love that about that kid, right? Love that about that kid. Uh, it seems like we see that a lot in this in this collegiate world now, and I don't know if that filters the same way through soccer as we see in other sports, but that's a character thing, you know, when you're when – you're, the team concept over the individual concept. And maybe he's just like, I love it here more anyway. I love being playing this position more anyway, but man, mm -hmm. when our fans that know soccer that I feel that I, that, that don't just spit out hot take after hot take, you know, it's hard to take that seriously. Mm -hmm. But when, when those fans start talking about soccer that know soccer and aren't just trying to be a sensationalist with what they say, when they say we'll be, we'll be, probably be more dangerous i tend to believe that and i'm i'm here for it 
The uh, final thing I have for Around the Herd is over in baseball, and Patrick Copen has been invited to the draft combine. So huge news for that. Uh, Patrick had a uh, – even our friends over uh, at ODU were talking about uh, how he came in and just shut down their monster lineup, uh, all the homers they were hitting. And, I mean, he basically just shut them down, shut them out. A uh, lot of talent there. And uh, it's great to see that somebody from this herd program getting some recognition for their talents. Well, he had a really good year, man. And, you mm-hmm. know, we talk about that old Dominion game a lot because it was mm-hmm. freaking impressive. Right. But he just had a really good year. And we know that Marshall didn't always provide the run support that our pitchers needed uh, for them to have a more favorable win loss record. But it doesn't take away from the fact that you were absolutely doing your absolute best on the mound when it was your turn to take the field. And if you would have told me, Hey, name one guy that's going to get a shot. I would have said it's Patrick Cope. Right. And Mm -hmm. I'm really happy for him. Uh, I hope he gets to not just gets the opportunity to go. Right. We know that's happening, but I hope he catches a little luck and, and actually has the opportunity to dazzle at these combines. Like the right eyes are on him at the right time. And it's, it's not just a, uh, well, thanks for the invite type thing. I I think um, he's got talent to, to make a little noise. Right. And uh, you're right. It's nice to see our guys. It's been a while. You know, since we've had some guys that have, uh, I don't know, may put Marshall, you know, up there a little bit. And, you know, we know it wasn't a, a, a really good year. And I've had some conversations here in the recent weeks with uh, people whose opinion I trust regarding the Herd Baseball program. And uh, I think we're kind of all on the same page with uh, – the rebuilding process here. And I know it's hard for fans to be patient and we just want to win. And you think, you think these folks don't want to win. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's nothing, nothing, no amount of, of drive that you have or that I have that, that, that says I want to win more than what these guys have. Believe me when I say that. I was surprised that we didn't hear that Luke Edwards had been invited. I, I just expected that. At, by the way, he's got one of my favorite uh, Twitter handles of all time is at I stay lukewarm. But <laughs> uh, but just the, you know, the on base streak, uh, you know, the high batting average, uh, the clutch player, uh, different positions that he can play. I just expected him to be named as well. But he still got uh, still got a shot, just not at the combine. All right. Uh, I also have some uh, additional breaking news. One of those other, at least. <laughs> I saw it too. It's either uh, one of those seven or maybe an additional <laughs> one. Uh, but Riley McIntosh is a uh, new uh, commit for Marshall football, wide receiver safety out of Kempsville High School in Virginia. Six foot, 170 pounds. Uh, he has on here that he was a three-star athlete. Not sure which of, of the uh, grading recruiting services that came from. Yeah, this is a seven-five-seven guy. This is Virginia Beach, not just in Virginia. Yeah. So anytime you can pull from that uh, super fertile recruiting ground that is the seven-five-seven in the Tidewater area, 
You'll love it. I love it. We've had some really impactful players over the recent years that have come out of the 757 that have that have been really, really um, meaningful for the herd. And, of course, each guy has to walk his own path. But we've had just good success from that area here lately. So there's, there's four of the seven right there. Uh, Riley McIntosh from Virginia Beach, Virginia. I wonder which way he's going to what, – what he was recruited to be, if he was recruited to be an offensive or a defensive player. I guess we'll find out later. Yeah, and may not find out until he's here on campus and had a year of red shirting and see, you know, that sort of thing. You never know. But anyway, uh, that wraps up our uh, taking it around the herd. Hey, good way to close it out, right? Everybody loves recruiting. And uh, I'll take I'll take one more commit to close out the around the herd segment. Look, it's time to continue the 2023 breakdown series. And this week we're talking about the offensive line. Um, of course, offensive line coached by Bill Legg in his I, – I lose track of how many stints he's had here, you know, three, four, whatever. We know that – that uh, well, it's been well documented. We know what happened last year, and he started mm-hmm. with tight ends and transitioned to offensive line, and we saw a decent uptick in uh, production over the latter half of the season from an offensive line standpoint. So – Let's talk about it a little bit. The, we're going to bring up Phil Steele a little bit again because I love the national rankings that he does, the Sun Belt rankings that he does, and all that kind of stuff. So he's got the herd rated as the 66th best offensive line unit in the country, tied for third in the Sun Belt Conference with South Alabama and Georgia Southern. Uh, you mentioned earlier a couple of all SBC um all conference SBC performers, Ethan Driscoll on the second team, Logan Osborne on the third team. Currently, now we know this is not perfect, but currently on the roster, 16 offensive linemen. Uh, in 2022, this this offensive line unit contributed greatly to the number 17 rush offense in the country. Uh, totals on those. On that rush offense, it's 597 total carries for 2,677 yards, roughly 4.4 yards per carry, 20 touchdowns on the ground with the 205.9 yards per game. Um, the flip side to that is they did allow – well, I can't say they. We can't pin this totally on them, but, you know. Uh, they allowed 36 sacks across 13 games in 2022, roughly 2.76 sacks per game. I can break that down for you a little bit better. Uh, Henry Columbia was sacked 20 times on the season. Cam Fancher was sacked 16 times on the season. Uh, But of those 16, he was only sacked 12 times as the starter and only five times over the final seven games of the season. So we know that offensive line play in that particular category really shot through the roof. Uh, the first couple of games as Fancher as a starter, you know, he was sacked four times and then three times or something like that, or four, three and four, four and three, something like that. And then it was a really good stretch of, you know, zero, zero, one. Um, so we did see some improved play along the offensive line. And and I think you would agree with me that a quarterback change um, – really helped that along a little mm-hmm. bit for one. We're not casting blame here, but the numbers don't lie, right? 
Mm-hmm. Um, exhausted eligibility for this herd offensive line. There were three guys. Kendrick Sartor is now gone. Uh, 13 games last year. Uh, Cedrice Palant now gone. Eight games last year. And uh, Jacob Kirkendall is now gone. Had a handful of guys transfer out, portal out guys. Jack Murphy, of course, went to Appalachian State. Tristan Bittner is now at Kent State, and Jeremiah Orr is now at Hampton. Uh, a couple of guys transferred in, Lloyd Willis from Florida State and Altrick Barlow from TCU. No longer on the roster from 2022. Tim Lawson, who was a transfer from Louisville last year that we just never really saw on the field. Caden uh, Richardson and uh, Stephen Fauché, who medically retired, is now on the coaching staff type you know um i don't remember what they were what they were calling him but um still wanted to finish up his degree wanted to stay here at marshall uh, but also not just not technically on the roster at offensive line incoming freshman in the 2023 class well i guess i shouldn't say freshman but incoming just not from the portal one freshman sean rouse from cabell midland and then juco offensive lineman ck obobi Projected starters, Russ, um, as a footnote, two years ago, well, I guess it was, yeah, maybe it was last year, uh, 36 total starts as that unit when the season began last year. This year, when the season starts, we'll be up to 55 starts across this uh, offensive line, which is a number that you really don't put plug that in anywhere else than the offensive line. So, of course, the higher the number, the more comfortable you are with the unit, and I'll take 55 starts over 36. Projected starters, uh, first of all, let me tell you, it's junior, 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 senior, junior. So we have the potential to have the majority of our offensive line back again next year, barring any huge shakeups. But left tackle, junior Ethan Driscoll, projected starter, six foot nine, three sixteen. The uh, 13 games started at left tackle last year. Junior left guard Trent Holler, six foot two, three oh three, 12 games in 2022. Junior center Logan Osborne, six two, three oh two, 13 starts at center last year. Senior right guard Dalton Tucker, six foot six, three twenty six, 13 starts at right guard last year. And then I'm going to throw in the new one, right? Who's the, who's the fifth man? I'm saying this is going to be right tackle. Transfer in Lloyd Willis from Florida State, six foot seven, three eleven, twenty five games across uh, three years at Florida State. Now let's do the fun part: the average across that starting five, that starting <clears throat> projected starting five. Average height six foot five and a quarter inches, and three hundred eleven point six pounds. I think you'll take that if you are a herd fan. Also on the roster. Altrick Barlow, we mentioned earlier, transferred in 17 games at TCU over three years. C.K. Obobi, the Juco. Jalen Slappy played two games for the Herd last year. Eric Meeks played four games for the Herd in 22. Tariq Montgomery, just one game last year. And then it's a bunch of red shirt freshmen. Uh, Trent Fraley, Chase Howard, Charlie Veltry, Caden Johnson, Gage Sampson, Matthew Juszczak, and incoming freshman Sean Rouse. Um, well, what do you got to say about this unit before we start talking strengths and weaknesses? I think that we have a lot of um, 
continuity from last year. And uh, I don't want to say more about that uh, because it's going to go in the strengths and weaknesses right. thing, but it's just nice to see. Yeah. Uh, you know, last year was more of a uh, what's it going to look like, you know, sort of thing. This year it's more of, well, we kind of know what we have. Um, I do think that we will see, and this is just slightly more than speculation. I think that we'll see a move in positions and, um, don't be, uh, don't be surprised if you don't see Trent Holler at center a lot this year, uh, because last year he was actually recruited to transfer to be the center. And then, uh, once they got here, it seemed to be a better fit to put Logan Osborne uh, there and Trent at guard. And they may flip-flop not exclusively this year, but enough that you'll see Holler in at center and Osborne in at guard uh, to play up some of their strengths as well. And uh, that may open up some other things. You know, if you need to give Osborne a spell, you know, you could just slide Trent over and put in someone else at guard. You know, there's a lot of flexibility that that w would give. And uh, Trent uh, had, like I said, been recruited originally by offensive line coach uh, last year to be a center here when he was transferring from ECU. Yeah, it's it's always nice to have – experience at center you know because football is a gauntlet a season is a gauntlet it's virtually impossible to stay 100 percent healthy if you're playing you yes. know uh, so to have the luxury of having uh, more than one center mm -hmm. at any given time mm -hmm. is a massive luxury a productive center is massive luxury so let's let's say that they go with Holler as center and Osborne at guard, and then Holler gets dinged up, uh, hamstring, knee, anything. You're bringing back your center from last year, mm -hmm. all the experience in the world to fill back in, you know, and throw in someone else at guard. Now I'm not saying throw some in at guard; just it's that easy. But having a starter that can play multiple positions and having two starters that can play multiple positions along the line just opens up a world of possibilities when uh, different packages, different whatever, you know, so I'm, I'm kind of hopeful that uh, we will see that even if it's not a uh, 100% of the time, uh, if they do it 50% of the time, 25% of the time, whatever, that they're uh, sliding back and forth that, that just gives us a, a lot more to work with. Yeah. The only thing that, that even perks up a, a notion of concern when you start talking about stuff like that is, you know, the chemistry of the center quarterback exchange. And if you're right. changing guys in and out, they're not going to snap the ball exactly the same. It's not sure. going to feel the same. It's just, it's different. Right. And mm -hmm. we know how vital that exchange is to the success and failures of any football team. So this is not what I would consider to be like a novelty type decision to where you're just like, well, we'll do it because we can. No, mm -hmm. there's probably going to have to be a method to the madness. And of course mm -hmm. there very well may be a method to the madness, but uh, just a knee-jerk reaction for me would be, I don't think I would. we would see that a lot. You know, and if we did see it, it would probably be for a more of a long-term thing to where, like, all right, 
Trent's going to be the guy this entire series or maybe this entire quarter. And then, you you know, if we need to make a switch, we will. Uh, or maybe it's, you know, whatever it is. But I just don't think it'll be like, all right, we're going to do it for this play because we want to run this play. No. That doesn't do anything for your, um, well, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what you call it, but like you're not deceiving anybody by doing yeah. that. It's like, oh, well, all of a sudden they've got a different center here. They must be doing something different, you know? No, I think what you're you're going to be able to see is when you need to give someone a break or something and, uh, you know, th- there's drop-off from second string, third string, things like that. It might be that your best uh, person that you have at guard uh, would be to move – uh, Trent back over to guard if something happens to Logan Osborne, if he if that went through. Now, I'm not saying that this is even 100% going to happen. I just think that uh, from what I understand, there's a possibility that you will see these, these two uh, switch positions uh, at least a, a decent portion of the time. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think, it's, I think it's been talked about enough that, that that is what the goal would be. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm up for strengths and weaknesses now. Whatever you want to do, talk about this line. Yeah, let's do it. Let's start out with some strengths there. What do you got for your number one strength of this unit? Well, what I said earlier that I didn't want to go into more was continuity and having uh, four return and having them uh, at least three of them named on different. Um, uh, honors that uh, Athlon uh, named three of them. Uh, Phil Steele named uh, two. So having these players be recognized as returning starters, uh, doing performing well, having that—I um, don't know—the there's a cohesiveness to the offensive line that you just don't expect on other positions, you know, it's more individual everywhere else, except for offensive lines. So having these four back knowing each other, I think is huge. Yeah. My my number one, one, my number one strength is the, the experience of this unit, right? Two years ago, we were talking about having to replace three all timers from the line Mm -hmm. last year. It was a, well, what are we going to look like? You know, it was a, it was on both of our lists of, position groups of concern going into the season because we just didn't know what we were going to have. And we ultimately ended up with, uh, you know, two newcomers to the program starting on that offensive line in Holler and Palin. Right. Um, and, and, and there was some, still some first year guys or some, well, I won't say first year guys, but guys getting their first meaningful action uh, in a herd uniform. So it was, it was very much a, whew, what do we got here? Well, it turned mm-hmm. out to be pretty decent, right? Turned out to be pretty good, and it got better and better as the year went along. So now the nucleus of those players returned. The uh, the continuity, the chemistry amongst this unit, the bulk of that returns, and now you're faced with just one potential newcomer to this line. And like I said, I'm speculating it's going to be Lloyd Willis, the Florida State transfer with a massive body and a lot of playing experience to come in and solidify the other side of the line. Uh it's it's hands down the number one strength of this unit. It was two years ago, 36 starts coming in now, or last year, 36 combined starts, now 53 com, or 55, 55 combined starts. That's that's a that's a big uptick, right? And now when we talk about this next year, that number is even going to be even higher. 
right? Because four of the five guys uh, could be back again. Uh, so you, you're you're really in a position to where this experience could pay huge dividends. And I'm trying not to take into account that a guy like Rasheen Ali is in the backfield, but you can't not take it into account. A guy like that makes your offensive line look good. You know, they're already good. He can make them look better because of the moves he's able to make, the holes he's able to get through. So, you know, I'm not crediting Rasheen Ali with making this line look good, but I'm 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 saying he can help, right? And and Cam Fancher being a year older, more developed, uh, being more comfortable in the offense and in the pocket, it's gonna help these guys, right? Because they may not have to hold on to those blocks that second longer that they had to last year. So they can be complementary of one another, you know, without fully giving credit to one, you know, to, to the quote-unquote skill position players. I mean, the offensive line is, is going to be pretty good in its own right. It's just that some of the guys we have in the backfield are going to help make them look even better. Yeah. My number two on strength is uh, size. You start with uh, Ethan Driscoll at 6'9". I'm just going with heights here. You know, the weights. I truly believe that when we get the roster uh, before the first game, these weights will be different. Uh, we, we Coach Huff mentioned that on our show about changing bodies and stuff. And sometimes going with a lower weight number is not, you know, what you may think is like, well, this guy's that much smaller. No, maybe he's just uh restructuring uh, his body you know maybe he's getting stronger much stronger but let's start with Ethan Driscoll at six foot nine then you've got uh, uh Lloyd Willis if he's the starting right tackle on the other side at six foot seven and then you've got uh Dalton Tucker at six foot six and you've got uh coming in you've got Ushek uh, six seven Tariq Montgomery six five Abobi six five um Jalen Slappy, 6'5". All these guys uh, going over 300 pounds or going to be right at 300 pounds, but 6'5 being the shortest amongst all these that I rattled off there. We have a large offensive line. How many times did I say it last year when Huff was hired in, he said there is a certain size that we look for in these positions. And we have a bigger offensive line and a much bigger defensive line than we did several years ago. And I just feel like that size is going to play. Yeah. This is no coincidence that this is my number two strength as well. And uh, I feel like you copied my paper a little bit because it's the same, basically the same thing that I wrote down. (laughs) It's basically the same thing that I wrote down, but specifically I tried to limit it to the starting five. Right. And you Mm -hmm. talk about, on the edges at six seven and six nine, right? I mean, you just those are just big bodies, right? right. To, to kind of neutralize or try to neutralize these edge rushers that the that the SBC houses a lot of good ones, you know. I mean, we have some on our side, but this conference as a whole houses a lot of good edge rushers. So, you know, if being six seven three eleven, being six nine three sixteen, that's one thing, but you got to be able to move too. And we haven't seen that much of, of Willis. We've seen uh, a season's worth of Ethan Driscoll. And they can move, right? They can move. But uh, I'm hoping that an entire uh, latter half of the season and a full offseason under Bill Legg 
is going to uh, change some things. Technique, it's hard to work on certain technique things in the season. You know what I mean? Because you're just in the season. You're you're focused on winning, right? If something's egregiously wrong, you have to correct it. But it's it's tough to fine tune when you're busy game planning for the upcoming opponent. Yeah. So hopefully this offseason we'll see some of that fine tuning take place, and and Bill Legg's going to share some of those tricks of the trade and and help these guys get the most out of their bodies and their physical builds so that, you know, maybe they don't have to work as hard to achieve some of the results that they're hoping to see uh, with, with a move here and a move there that Bill Legg has, you know, bouncing around in the old offensive line guru mind of his. Uh, I didn't even look at that reserve pool, but you just ripped off like four, five, six guys that are all above six, five. Yeah. You know, and I think that it's, it's also not a detriment that your shortest guys holler and, and Osborne six, two, respectively they're in the middle you know yeah. so that that's you've got a mobile quarterback you're probably not gonna do too too much passing across the middle everything well there will be some right but if he if if that's what we're trying to do maybe that accompanies a rollout or you know something to where you can get in a more favorable passing lane like look six two is not short right yes. it's, it's not short but when you're talking about six nine yeah. <laughs> that's a little bit different yeah <laughs> but I'm with you. I think massive size is, is the number two strength of this unit. What do you got for your next one? Well, let's see if I copied you again. This, high, this hive mind that we have here, run blocking. We <laughs> Did I get it? Did yeah. I get it? <laughs> maybe we just know what we're talking about. Yeah, about maybe. That? So last year we had all these different uh, people commenting that our offensive line is struggling. Our offensive line is struggling. And you start looking at the the rushing yards that we put up. Guys, you you can't put Barry Sanders – well, maybe Barry Sanders. But <laughs> most, most people you couldn't put in the backfield, and if you don't have somebody blocking for them, they're, they're not going to do very well. Yeah. Uh, Barry Sanders aside. But um, we ran blo- uh, run blocked very well last year. We ran the ball very well. Um I, I see that just happening again this year and maybe even better uh, for having uh, a healthy Rasheen Ali back and, uh, you know, a deeper running back uh, stable that it seems. I just I feel like we're going to have a huge strength of rushing the football again this year thanks to this offensive line. Yeah, and I'm with you. My third strength was the run blocking um is tops among the sbc and the g5 as a whole dude it's elite i mean it's it's elite we have elite run blocking and the numbers back it up you know to to put up a top 20 top 17 rushing offense last year and to have the guy who was supposed to be you know running your run game machine last year back this year without all of the um season's worth of abuse on his body I think we could see those numbers pump up a little bit. A couple of years ago, we were a sub 200 yard per game offense. Now we're a 200 plus yard per game offense. And I know some people go, well, man, that's only like 20 yards a game. Yeah, but that's could be the difference in three or four first downs in a game, you mm-hmm. know? So that's, it's absolutely a, uh, a, a big differentiator when you when you're talking about ball control, when you're talking about clock management, when you're talking about you know being able to close out a game, 20, 25 yards a game is a big deal. And if if we can even push that a tad higher, wow, you know look at look at what this herd offense could do here. 
uh, when you're talking about 2,600 plus yards, I mean, I'm not going to say we're going to, you know, get out here and rush for 3,000 yards in the season, but is it out of the realm of possibility? Is it honestly? No, it's not out of the realm of possibility, especially if you play a 14th game on the season, right? We played, if you if you play your full complement in the regular season, you make it to the conference championship game and a bowl game, you could be flirting with a 3,000-yard season. I mean, you could be flirting with it on a 13-game season. Who knows? We don't know. All we do know is that these guys can flat run block. And mm -hmm. anytime you can do that, you've heard Huff say it, we want to be able to run the ball, stop the run and win ball games. That's yeah. it, right? So anytime you have one of the tops in your conference at run blocking, you're going to have some success and we absolutely have that. How about weaknesses, man? Usually you've been falling short on me on weaknesses. This is the first week that I've fallen short too. I've only come up with two, but two nonetheless. What do you got? I have 3. Okay. Um so I will start out with um, penalties. We have got to be more disciplined. Uh, nothing uh, stalls a drive besides a sack or a turnover worse than a, than a penalty, especially one of those where you pick up a first down and it has to be called back or an extremely long play and it gets called back. And uh, we had a lot of false starts last year and we had a lot of holds and we have got to nip that in the bud and do a better uh, job of that. And I think once that happens, we're going to see these numbers for rushing and for passing go up even more. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, right? That's one of my weaknesses as well. I'm not, I, I, I wrote down, what I wrote down is holding penalties weren't egregiously high, but they were usually very inopportune. Very that's what, it, you know, that's yeah. what it was. It was a big, huge play that got called back, or when we really needed something to happen and it got called back. You know, it was just a they're always a momentum killer, but when it results in a 40 yard play getting, you know, called back, that's just insult to injury. Or going from third and one to third and six because of a hold. You know, that yeah. that well, it it's it, this goes back to hopefully the technique thing I was talking about before. Um, it's it's hard to fix a lot of that stuff in real time when you're game planning. I would assume, you know, when when you're concerned with the task at hand, uh, and hopefully we see a little bit uh, a better usage and utilization of technique this year to cut those penalties, to cut those false starts. That's a discipline thing, and I know. You know, coaches say that <laughs> nothing will drive them crazier than penalties like that that are that are mental mm -hmm. mistakes. You know, because you should you should have that. And I get it, man. I mean, hell, I, how many times have I screwed up in this episode? <laughs> I had eight. like ten, I had like eight. ten in the first two minutes, right? Well, so I, I've got you at eight officially that I've got written down here. Well, you can add another one to that because <laughs> I thought it was ten and you said it was eight. <laughs> But anyway, you know, they, they, they're going to happen. It's like, can how how much can you limit those from happening? So I'm with you. That was, that was uh, one of my two weaknesses as well. What else you got? Number two is that you can't let the momentum get you in the opposite, in the negative. Uh, when we started to see a trend of more um, sacks being given up, it seems like they just started coming in bunches in the games. So you have to be able to regroup either 
during the during the game or during the midweek before the next game to where you can just say, okay, let's correct this. And last year it just seemed like they got into this spiral that was so long to get out of. And I feel like what we talked about earlier, uh, the QB change fixed a lot of that because it was just a totally different gameplay back there. It was a, a guy that could elude the rush. It was a guy that maybe wasn't holding the ball as long. Uh, they wanted it uh, to be out of his hand earlier because he was a younger player. You know, things like that. It wasn't necessarily that we're saying the QB that was QB1 was bad. No, it was that the game of the offensive line, the play calling, it was just more suited toward when we got Fancher in uh, to, hey, let's do quick releases, let's throw down field more, that sort of thing. There were less sacks. So I'm hoping that will correct it, but if we do get into a spiral, we can't let it go for five games. Yeah, well, uh, to combat that, I, I feel like the trajectory that we saw to close out the season was freaking great, man. I mean, Tremendous. To, only, to only allow five over the last seven games. Yep. And I we mean, talked that, about that week in, week out last year about how improved it was. And we still heard people, you know, say, oh, man, this offensive line, this offensive line, it became like a, a, a bullet point for them to bring up. And the stats just weren't there. They were giving up like one sack in three games or something, you know, yeah. and it was so, no, I'm, I'm with you. And I just, I can't my weakness is it cannot go as long as it did last year for them to get out of that spiral. Yeah, I can dig that. You know, and, and a lot of it, you can just flat out attribute to the quarterback change. You, right. you saw all of them, yeah. the, the majority five sacks or seven sacks in the first two games with cam as the starter. Yeah. I mean, that's growing pains. That That's the very sure. definition of growing pains, right? Cause yeah. it was, it was a hard transition and it was a, I don't mean hard as in it was difficult. It was a, an absolute transition. Yeah. You, you were yeah. one guy, now you're this guy. So, yeah. It, but after that, after there was co some comfortability, week three of Cam, mm -hmm. four, five, six, it, it kind of all dissipated, right? He yeah. settled into the offense. The offensive line kept doing what they were doing. That's why I say you can't always attribute it to those, you know, because a lot of those fell on Cam, right? Mm -hmm. But I love the, uh, I love that comment. I love that that weakness, that that point, right? Because you're right. It's like a snowball effect. You get one, and you're like, damn it, I didn't want that to happen, you know? And then, like, you're thinking about it. You're dwelling on it. And the next thing you know, you got a late start. You, your your get-off wasn't as, as quick as you wanted to. And now here comes another one, you know? So uh, my second weakness is, and I don't know how much this will matter, but it is an extreme youth movement after – seven or eight guys, right? Uh, a lot of redshirt freshmen, one, two, three, four, five, six, six redshirt freshmen and one incoming true freshman. You've got the five guys uh, across the starting, what we projected, what I project as the starting offensive line that had a lot of games played for the herd, one newcomer, and then three other guys that played games for the herd last year. The other two guys, one was a Juco and one was a transfer. So, after that, it's it's a lot of youth, and that's always concerning. It just always is because, you know, offensive linemen can, at times, drop like flies, you mm -hmm. know, and it doesn't take much. It, that blocking that, you know, you're put in some weird angles, you're, put, you're, you're attacked yeah. from different 
areas. It's somebody it's somebody lands on your uh, ankle or your knee as as you're on the bottom of the pile. You know, it, yeah. it happens. Yeah, these guys have got they get rolled up on more than anybody. Yeah, more than anybody. And and you know we've not just we as Marshall, but you know we as a community of, of footballer uh, football fans and the football industry i guess and they've made big strides by you know basically putting those guys in knee braces they've saved a yeah. lot of injuries from over the years since making the move to putting knee braces on everybody but still it can happen in a blink of an eye right yeah. and it doesn't take much for you to really start struggling depth wise uh, when you have to start plugging in reserve offensive linemen to your starting five, and now all of a sudden you could potentially be one snap, two snaps away from having a bunch of redshirt freshmen on your offensive line. So um, that's always just a concern, but, you know, not one that I'm I'm losing sleep over, right, because these first eight guys are all experienced guys. So uh, what's your last one? Well, my final weakness is not really that much of a weakness, and that's why I listed it last, but uh, it's the inverse of what it was last year. Last year, we were talking about our number two, or if it became down to the wire, as they were saying, who was going to get number one or number two, Cam Fancher's a lefty. And now we are building this around a lefty instead of, hey, will it be this, will it be that? and everybody else is going to be a quarterback as a righty. So if something does happen to Cam, then you have an offensive line that has been built for a left-handed quarterback that is very, very mobile. Going to a more pocket uh, passer that is right-handed. Mm -hmm. And I think that that could be a weakness. Um, it's, it's not like I'm the only person on the planet it's not like our, our coaches have not recognized this. They, again, know way more than we ever will or could ever even pretend to know. But it could be a weakness that we're like, well, we're set up in a groove like this. If something happens to Cam, the next quarterback that comes in could be very, very ready, but the offensive line may need a little bit of an adjustment because it's just a different quarterback. You talked about growing pains there earlier. If something happens and it takes more than a couple of series to, you know, get in the swing of it, it could be a weakness. Yeah. And, you know, we got lucky last year. Even during those growing pains, we beat James Madison. You right. know, that Cam's first start, he was sacked, I can't remember, is he three times, four times, whatever it was. Yeah, four, I think. And we won that game because, you know, uh, Labron had a great game, and mm -hmm. Owen Porter played out of his freaking mind in yeah. that game. But you can't always count on that happening, right? right? So that's a good point. It's not one that I concerned. In fact, often I forget that Cam is a lefty. I, I just forget that because it's such a rare thing in today's world, it seems I like. I I'm a lefty. <laughs> I, I don't view it as a big deal. And, that, you know, I – I hope no, that but, people... but when you're talking about blocking, anything yeah. could potentially be a big deal. Anything could. Yeah, I just think, you know, and it's not like these guys are not capable of that. But if you're getting into this muscle memory of this right. and that, you know, it, it could just be a, a, a minor weakness. And if I have to come up with three, that was my third. So, yeah. Well, I mean, there's a reason that in the NFL, generally speaking, 
the offensive, the highest paid offensive linemen are the ones that are protecting your quarterback's blind side. Sure. And most of the time it's a right-handed quarterback. Right. So yeah, it's different. That's right what there. we talked about last year because it was going to come down to Columbia or Fancher, and we didn't know when we were talking about the offensive line who it was going to be. We didn't really know until we talked football. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, quarterback, uh, right before the football game, the very week before, that it was going to be Henry Columbia. So when we were talking about offensive line last year, it was, you know, Will it be a big deal that one is righty, one's a lefty, one is mobile, one is a pocket passer? Will that come into play? Uh, I feel like it did, but it came in the inverse of what I expected, you know. Yeah. So, well, let's talk about uh, the four questions I, I love to ask you here. Who are you most excited to see from this unit in 2023? I think it would be Lloyd Willis just because I expect him to be a starter. And I expect, you know, I mean, you can, it can be dangerous just because he's coming from a Florida state, you know, it doesn't mean that he's going to automatically win that spot or he's automatically going to be good. But uh, I think at his size and that he had been recruited to a program like that, that I have expectations for him and he almost by default wins it because I've seen the other four that I expect to be starters. So I'm most excited to see him. Well, that's a good pick, right? Because he is tasked with protecting Cam's blindside off of the edge. Uh, But selfishly, I think I'm most excited to see Dalton Tucker this year because he's the lone senior starter, man. I want to see how uh, he, uh, you know, reacts to, one last go around with the Mm -hmm. herd because it's always intriguing to me, you know, how these guys take in that final season in the Kelly green, um, to have most of these guys coming back uh, two years from now or a year from now, you know, that we can talk about some of these other guys then, uh, potentially, but I'm, I'm all, I'm very excited to see Lloyd, uh, uh, Lloyd Willis and what he does in the first year, uh, with the herd, but you're right. Well, there's no guarantee he's going to be that guy, that fifth offensive lineman. Uh, we do know that Dalton Tucker will be one of the offensive linemen. So I'm most excited to see our lone senior starter on the herd's uh, offensive line. Who do you think is going to be the hardest to replace from last year? Uh, the only one that is not there anymore, Cedric Palin. Well, I mean, I know there was, I know there were more, but you know, he he was uh, he was a starter. Uh, he got. Uh, a lot of the accolades, uh, you know, when they came out with awards and stuff like that, I think he'll be the hardest to replace. Well, I'm going with Kendrick Sartor because okay. he was a multi-year guy for the herd, a multi-year mm-hmm. starter for the herd, and he played 13 games last year. Palin only got eight. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you get into an area where you're starting to split hairs a little bit, but um, Sartor did it f- longer for the herd, you know, and uh, that's just – it's not easily replaceable. You know, we're trying to do that this year. We're trying to go out and hit the portal and find somebody that can immediately come in and replace these guys that we lost. Uh, Palin is a good pick, but I'm picking Kendrick Sartor. Who's your breakout player along the line this year? <sighs> I'm hoping Driscoll. Um, and I'm, I'm not trying to beat him up, but he did have the false starts and holds last year. Uh, not, he wasn't the only one of course, but 
I just felt like his were those inopportune times. And I feel like that is something that is correctable. It's not like, you know, we're like, well, now we have to teach him how to be physical. He's already physical. He's six foot nine. He's well over 300 pounds. Uh, he's got all the tools. If, if you can correct those um, false starts, I think that you're going to see a huge leap up from him in, in production and everything. So I feel like this could be his breakout year. Well, that's a pretty good pick, right? He's, he's now a very experienced offensive lineman in this offense and Mm -hmm. it's time to dial it in a little bit. You Mm -hmm. know, you're, you're, you're right. It's, it's not an unfair evaluation there. We, everybody saw that he struggled a little bit at times last year, but I am most excited not excited about my breakout player. This is where Lloyd Willis falls for me because mm-hmm. he's not been here before and he could come in and be a first team all conference player, right? Out of the gate. And it could be that smothering offensive line force that really uh, provides added protection for Cam Fancher that really opens up those holes for Rasheen Ali and AJ Turner and the rest of those guys. And I mean, you don't know what you got, you know, until you start to see it on the field. But um, I think there's a reason they they went out and, and tried to get this guy early. I mean, Willis has been on the board for a long time. You know, mm-hmm. this is not just, well, we, we, we went out and found him last week. No, no, no. He's been around a long time. So that tells me uh, he was a priority guy for this offensive line. So along with what I'm – just assuming to be that way, I'm, I'm assuming that this staff is expecting him to break out for them along this unit. So give me Lloyd Willis. Who's going to be your MVP uh, along this unit? I have a cop out. I always have one, and it's going to be whoever ends up being the starting center for the majority of the time. Uh, so if that is Logan Osborne, he'll be my MVP. If that is Trent Holler, he'll be my MVP. I just kind of feel like the center is going to be that cerebral guy, the guy that is uh, the QB leader of the unit, you know? Uh, so whoever wins that uh, majority starter role as center, uh, I, I shouldn't say wins, uh, whoever they, they name and handles that duty the most. Yeah, and I had no idea we were going to be talking about the potential of playing two centers here, but that's who I went with too. And it was Logan Osborne because nobody but the center touches the ball on every single play. Yeah. So you have to give that guy the nod as far as your, your unit MVP. Uh, And if we see multiple centers playing, then we see multiple centers playing. But for now, I'm just sticking with Logan Osborne because, you know, I feel like he will get the lion's share of snaps at center because he's done it in the past. He performed at a really high level for the herd last year. He's landing on preseason all-conference teams this year, and that's just hard to not take that into account. So uh, give me Logan Osborne as my team uh, MVP for the offensive line unit. Rush, you got any final words before we get out of here? No, I don't. <laughs> well, all right. Let's do that. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no. Uh, I, I actually do have uh, one little final word is uh, thanks again. We can't say it enough. We mentioned it earlier in the show, but for everyone that has listened, for everyone that has interacted with us on social media, for everyone that has 
put their friends or, or other fans onto us and more than anybody, our sponsors at 304carwreck.com and Ignite Link, especially for all that they have allowed us to grow over this season too. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Now, with that being said, whether you see us at the cam, whether you see us at the Joan, or whether you see us at the officially named the Jack, no matter where you see us, we're going to be saying, go herd. <laughs> go herd. It's the Thundercast. We'll see you next week. The breakdown series will continue, and we're going to be talking about the secondary. We'll see you next week. Later. Later.